Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome one, welcome all to The Ruck from The Times and Sunday Times. I'm Will Kelleher and today, look how lucky you all are. We've assembled a crack panel to review the opening round of the Six Nations. Forget the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, this man has been the gem of home nations rugby journalism for practically as long. Welcome to Stephen Jones, rugby correspondent for The Sunday Times. How are you, Steve? Not so bad, thank you. A little bit jaded. Yeah, and second, we have the man who's changed the scrum laws for the tournament. <laughs> After a searing exclusive led to the glory of the breakfoot, and we thank him kindly for the 28 minutes it took to complete the first scrum in the Calcutta Cup. <laughs> yeah, cheers, Al. Thanks. Alex Lowe, correspondent from The Times. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. Thank you. Steve, are we okay? Will's only been here two weeks. He's already hosting The Ruck. I know. What, we it hasn't happened before. I, I did 20 years before I, I was a local host. <laughs> are they My- invented podcasts then? No, there's no podcast. Oh, they had just general chit chat. <laughs> to be fair, he's got off to a mediocre start, but he's he's got to get better, now, hasn't he? Yeah, well, I, yes. It's, it's, a, it's a slightly it, lame start, I thought. Yeah, I'm sure he's got plenty of time now to. Yeah, uh, exactly. To yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll give him a go. Yeah, he's got two more minutes before we check him out. <laughs> <laughs> well, gents, we were all in Edinburgh this weekend for Scotland's win against England. But before we get into the big stuff, just tell me how much you enjoyed being back covering a normal Six Nations weekend. We had the privilege, didn't we, of. I suppose, privilege or hell of covering the lockdown rugby, didn't we? We were lucky to go, but to me it just felt nice to be back among the fans and getting back to normal, didn't it, Alex? Yeah, massively. I mean, there were 60-odd 60, 60 thousand there, and as we travelled up on Friday, there were cars and trains and planes full of full of travelling fans, and, and that's as I sat down to write my preview for the weekend, that, that's what struck me. It was, you know, we, we've had to... We went through last year's championship, which was... On the field, competitive, but just it was flat as as an event, wasn't it? And just the the festival, the carnival of of the Six Nations, it uh, really felt like it was back in in full force. And it was lovely to, and we have the privilege of going to these games, and and it was great to be there. And the atmosphere was raucous, and the, and and Murrayfield packed to the rafters again. Um, it was l- lovely to see, and and it was good that some of our, at least one of our fellow writers, really made the most of it. Um, probably my favourite story of the weekend was arriving at Murrayfield on Saturday, and uh, saw one of the one of the writers. I won't say who or where from. The unnamed soldier. Uh, unnamed. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Oh, did we out last night?" Went, oh yeah, we went to the Gilly Do. I said, "Oh, where's that?" He said, "Oh, it's a it's a bar in in the middle of town. It's open until six. I said, "Oh, fair play." What time did you leave? Six. <laughs> so he was back at full at, at full pelt, full speed ahead on a Six Nations weekend, and I bet he was not alone either. Steve, when was your first Five Nations match? What year would that have been? Well, I covered my first six, Five Nations game for the Sunday Times in 1984. Um, that was the year I said that the Australian team that was coming over to England 
was the worst that's ever left their shores. In fact, they became the first ever to win the Grand Slam. <laughs> so that was Great a slightly start. dodgy start. But, um, how good was it to be back, though, Stephen? Oh, all the fans it's, of the it's, one, it's wonderful. And also, look, for, for a start, we haven't seen each other for, sat down with each other for a beer for a long time. We managed that on Friday. It was lovely to see the fans, you know, people on the trains, uh, planes, etc. Uh, it was just, it's just marvellous. I mean, Edinburgh is a magnificent venue. It really is. Uh, the, the the press facilities are absolutely abject, but um, the rest of the stadium is fantastic. And the, the key I felt to, the tribute to Scottish rugby was Saturday evening when all work was done. We went to the normal Chinese restaurant and Stuart Barnes ordered a tandoori haggis <laughs> as a special fusion tribute. food. That's yeah, it very was 20, a tandoori 22. haggis. Seriously, <laughs> honestly. Well, my favourite was I was on the train up to uh, Edinburgh on Friday, and there were a group of senior pros who got on at York, fourteen lads from a rugby club, and they had the best picnic you've ever seen. With including little sliced up lemons for their gin and tonic, and ice <laughs> that lasted the whole journey. No idea how they did that. Bottles of Chablis. Two Gordons on the 11am. Extraordinary stuff. Do, do you know what? The, the, the Scottish game, you hear so many great stories. Like there was one about sort of 30 years ago where these four people went all the way up the M6 in, a, in, in, in their car on their way up to this pilgrimage. They broke down at Carlisle. The, <laughs> ca- the car couldn't be repaired. So they went into this pub in Carlisle and they were warmly welcomed. So now every year they go to Carlisle. <laughs> and they've been doing it for like 20 years. The four of them, they go in this pub, they meet all, all their mates and they watch the game there. And that's just, that's just part of the folklore of the whole thing two years, two years ago we got snowed in up there and most of us had to spend an extra night except for Lawrence who paid a thousand pounds for a taxi back to London <laughs> <laughs> well it was great to be back and before we get into the meat of it um, let's run through what we're going to do today we'll look back on the opening round of the 2022 championship with wins for Ireland Scotland and France we'll cast our eyes towards next weekend including a massive game in Paris between France and Ireland France defence coach we'll preview that one Sean Edwards will join us. And we'll also round up the results in the Gallagher Premiership. Jess Hayden has the latest in the women's game as usual. And we will end with a god, goddess or devil of the week. But first, we'll get stuck into the opening round of the Six Nations, starting with that dramatic match at Murrayfield. Here are the thoughts of Eddie Jones and Gregor Townsend after that game. We played well, mate. Uh, you know, we set out to, to take the game to Scotland. We did that in the first half. We came in at half-time. But the points didn't show that. And then I thought our response in the first part of the second half was outstanding. You know, we were in a position to win the game. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you play well and you don't get the result. Tonight was a, was an example of that. We were against the wind in the first half and the conditions weren't great. I thought England played really well. So we had a lot of defending to do. And while at times we, we felt in control, England could easily have scored a try in that, that period. So. So to get in at half-time, having taken our opportunity with a try, we, we knew we could be playing much better and we'd have that wind advantage in the second half. Um, we had with parts of the second half, we, we were able to play well, but it did come down to really fine margins. So, gents, that was Gregor Townsend talking to Talk Sport and he ended on the note of fine margins. How fine do we think they were, Alex? Uh, well, in the end, incredibly fine. England are appealing for a scrum penalty to try and, and draw a game at Murrayfield. Um, it shouldn't have been that fine from England's perspective, I don't believe. They were the better team for an hour. It took them 40 minutes to start translating that 
into points. Their third quarter on the back of their mauling game, really defensive and attacking wise, got them field position and they're 17 10 up. And at that point, they had c- control of the game. And in a split second, it changed. And Finn Russell's uh, brilliance, Scotland's ability to sense a moment and seize it, changed the momentum back. Um, there are so many strands to this about substitutions, about lack of um, Ings' inability to, to be clinical and, and the issues they had attack-wise in the first half with with not enough penetration, too much lateral. There's so much going on. It was a game where England had their most inexperienced starting 15 in the Six Nations under Eddie. They ended with a very experienced team and a lot of those senior players were the ones who then made the mistakes. Horrible lack of execution, some questionable decisions, um, all, all, and, and that's just focusing on England. Scotland's defence was was brilliant, I thought, Steve. Um, they they held England out at a point when England had most of the ball and most of the territory. They they the Hamish Watson was was just sensational, and and they took their chances and uh, and and won a tight game and deservedly so actually, because as Ben Young said afterwards, if you can't transfer your 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 dominance in in terms of territory and, and possession into points, then you leave yourself open to to what happened. Steve, we should probably credit Scotland for the win. How impressed were you with them that they backed it up from well, last I, year? I disagree with Alex that they weren't the better side because I thought they were. Mm. And you've got to remember, until, say, 10 years ago, if you got 84% possession and 74% territory, etc., you always won the game. Yeah. No, that doesn't give you any guarantees mm. whatsoever. No, that's true. Didn't give any guarantees. And I, th- I, I thought Scotland were the better uh, team in attack. I thought they had more ideas. I suspected that they were they would win before the Luke Cohen Dickey stuff, and the thing is, guys, unless you're playing Italy, in every international match, it's always going to be tight. It's always going to be tight, and the art of getting out out of international matches. This is why I keep saying they've got to go for the Grand Slam. There's an art of getting out of these games, and Scott England don't have it, and yet again. There's no Grand Slam. Yet again, as we had in the World Cup final, as we had against Wales last year, Ireland the year before, oh, well, we could have done this, the ref could have done this, we shouldn't have done that. They bloody well didn't, and they lost. And their Eddie Jones' career is slipping by. Our lives are slipping by because we'd like to be covering an England, a winning England team. There's not one. And there's not one because he picked too young a side, too inexperienced, and they could not get out of a ma- of um, uh, of the match. Now, just take let's take the Joe Marler incident. Joe Marler can't throw in. What was Alex Dombrant doing? Coming short mm. inside the five meter channel. Joe Marler almost had to throw the ball to him. Lots of stuff like that. They got what they deserved. So nothing. We teed the start of this podcast up by talking about how good the fans were coming back. Do you feel like? You've covered England for a long time, this tournament for a long time. Yeah. That England fans have sort of consistently been let down by their coaching. People have spent thousands of pounds getting up to Murrayfield. They're excited. And the preview to it is a lot of talk about four or five campaigns to the World Cup. Yeah. Lots of England fans would say to me, I don't care about the World Cup. No, of course they don't. Let's let's talk about the Six Nations. We're going to Murrayfield. They, they, they want to... Look, do you know what? 
I'll give you an example. Wales won the Grand Slam under Warren Gatland in his first year. What year was that, Alex? 2008. Two, two, th- 2008. Until then, you know, my two lads who then were in their teens had no idea that Wales were a big rugby nation. And I, they didn't want to know that Wales used to win it all in the 70s. Suddenly they realise that they are. Suddenly there's this great momentum. Suddenly the crowd comes back on board. Suddenly the actors want to be pictured with the team and the Manics want to be pictured with the, with the rugby team. <laughs> that is what happens when you win the Grand Slam. You, have, you, you can wear a Grand Slam pullover. Wales used to have Grand, grand Slam pullovers with the scores on, like <laughs> Wales 28, England 3, and the people used to wear them in pubs. They're like band tour dates. <laughs> exactly. Now, now since, since Clive Woodward stood down, or probably include, including when he stood down in 2004, they keep on coming up short. Now, if they are Belgium, they could have these results. Even if they were Italy, even Scotland would like their results. But they're bloody well England, mm. and they are not fulfilling all the money they spend, all the stuff words we expel on them they're not good enough to do it so my my thing on that um will is that after the disaster of last year's six nations that team had to change and that the changes that were made and i know steve would disagree with a lot of them i think they were a better team in the autumn than they were in the six nations they, they were fresher with newer ideas greater energy greater variety of, of options in attack the, the team that started the game at murrayfield was was young they were missing some senior figures. Courtney Laws, just to name mm, the, the mm. most obvious. Um, you know, I think that they missed him. Um, but they were winning the game. And I'm not saying that they were the better team overall, because over 80 minutes, they weren't, because they were they were horribly beaten up in that last 20. And then they lost, they lost their accuracy and their composure over an hour, not the way that we would have expected them to to put themselves into a winning position, but they did do over the course of an hour, over the course of 80, Scotland absolutely were the deserved winners. I think that um, England had to make those changes mm. a year ago. They've left themselves with a young team. There's still lots of questionable selections and, and omissions. But actually, as it happened, a lot of the mistakes that were made in that last quarter when Scotland almost closed the game out, mm. they had the penalty under the sticks which yeah. would have been a six-point advantage. And then the penalty got reversed because of the net roll on, on Tom Curry. Mm. That gave England a window. And they they decided not to go for the posts, team decision. Mm. I I admired the boldness. It was probably would have been not a tough that, kick, that, wouldn't it? It would have been for Daly, a, a longer probably. kick for Daly in, in trickyish conditions. Mm. So they, they went for touch. I, I, I don't hate that decision. Mm. But I do hate that George Ford took that kick and, and went 10 metres yeah. and Slade didn't take it with his left foot into the 22, which is a classic Henry Slade decision. He does affect it all the time, doesn't he? The knock-on of that is that because of the, of the field position, Scotland can challenge in the air mm. and they stole the line out. If it's in the 22, Scotland don't challenge in the air. Mm. They've got a field position. That's that, that's a senior player with a poor kick and then, the, and then the, the Saracens collection had the ball stolen at the line out and then, of course, you've got the... The, the, the mucked final play which involves senior players and so it's not it's not it wasn't the kids that let them down Steve that, mm. I guess that's what I've in a very long winded way mm. tried to say Just on the profligacy I guess of the England attack I was just looking I rewatched the game on Sunday on the way back and made a few notes and loads of these things are really avoidable skill errors so the first minute Ben Youngs sends a, a long box kick that gets marked immediately into the 22 no momentum the ninth minute, Luke Cowan-Dickey, he's in a, a pod trying to receive the ball. 
doesn't realise it's coming to him, knocks it on, turns over the ball. Then you've got um, the 18th minute. They were slow on... Sorry, the 10th minute. They're slow on the line-out for Ben White's try. They got yeah. outfoxed there completely. Yeah. Mm. 20th minute, Luke Cowan he kicks away, penalty advantage. The ball goes dead into the left-hand corner. Turnover again. Uh, 27th minute, wasted attack by Max Maynard's kicking into the dead ball area again. 30th minute, Marcus Smith kicking a long cross kick over to Henry Slade's head. 37th minute, Sam Simmons makes a really nice break in the sort of 12 channel and then Max Malins gets done for sealing off. They've no momentum there. There was also Elliot Daly in the 13 channel with a man outside. He kicks it. Mm. And that's, I think the stat was England spent, well, Scotland spent 54 seconds in England's 22 and England was over two and a half minutes and scored one try. So I, you know, we've talked a lot about England here. That ceiling off thing was interesting because it happened to both teams mm. and it and it did kill some momentum for both sides. I remember one counter from uh, Van der Merwe from his own 22. Stuart Hogg comes in over the top. There's no one competing for it. Penalised. It, it killed yeah. the momentum. But England didn't have enough penetration, enough direction because of the, the selections they made, i.e. no one holding, holding the defence running straight. But we've got to talk about Scotland as well. Like, Absolutely, yeah. The, Steve Tandy's defence that he's put in place is out is outstanding. I thought Hamish Watson and uh, Matt Fagerson in the back row were, were just a, another level. Um, Watson didn't miss a tackle. He not only didn't miss them, you know, they're, they're, they're he tackled. hasn't for two years. He hasn't missed one for two years in the Six <laughs> Nations. But there are tackles and there are tackles. Like, mm. he's not just kind of passively accepting someone running at him he is making dominant hits yeah and and not only that if you watch it, it some of those incidents closely some of those collisions closely it the, the, it, it takes them a second or two to even bring the guy down and that's deliberate he's slowing everything down mm. there was a 13 second ruck at one point i mean it's like it, they were slowing everything down and and that's part of the reason why england were lateral yeah partly england's fault but but they were they were dictating those terms, so you know they were very comfortable in their own half mm. because I thought they were defending brilliantly. I, would... I, th- I, th- I totally agree with that. But the thing is, you know, I just don't get ever ever get these selections. Before the game, we all thought, blimey, um, poor old Henry Slade in the centre. He really outweighed. He's really going to have to work to get over the advantage line. What happened? He was totally outweighed and had to work to get over the advantage line. He was beasting the ball up, but every. He'd come up, he'd come mm. up like a diver who just ran out of air, staggering <laughs> around like that. Well, we knew that was going to happen. And Mark Atkinson may not be too laggy, but he's a much better player as twelve than that. And he's the second best player in the position in the Premiership, and he should have started mm. yeah, just to take them over the advantage line. Uh, uh, and then old um, the, the old flanker there, and he's not he's not in such a good position. So I just uh, felt sorry for him. They used Sam Simmons there quite a bit, didn't they? We, yeah, we, yeah, we were running back style. You know, they yeah. were, there yeah. was a lot. There was a lot of fluid position um, switching and, and um, Simmons was being used a lot at 12 mm. to try and provide that and, and he, he did alright actually he, 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 he did alright he did, did. alright but it there's a, there are there's a subtlety isn't there I mean I can't ever say I played at inside centre but <laughs> but there are angles aren't there there's just an, there mm. are instincts which are, which are slightly different it's not just about power it's about footwork it's about about angles of running yeah I, I think it, it, go on I, say, I, I thought Sam Simmons did very well but what played out in the attack was, was what we expected, and you know, I, I think on Tuesday last week I had to pick my team to play that game, and, yeah. and uh, you know, it felt to me that Smith, Atkinson, Slade was 
was the best balance mm. they could have had. Robust defensively. Um, Atkinson, as 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 you said, Steve is is the is the second best in that position. You know, I think mean, behind I mean, Fowler doesn't play that position in 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 the in the Premiership. But if, if England want Fowler to play there, then and he's not available, that Atkinson is 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 the best mm. option. I would say other than Lazowski, but he's not in the squad. Different story there, yeah. Um, mm. I played. I love Lazowski in that squad all day long, but. Atkinson should have played, and he should play this weekend in Rome. The the, the um, I think you, you said, or we both said, look, we, we're concentrating a bit on England here. I just think that um, Finn Russell now, since he come back, came back into the team after his probably something he had to yeah. do with Greg. I had a bit of a Barney with him and all mm. that, and he missed. Yeah, I just think be, yeah. that I just think the man has got this aura around him. He's not he's not infallible, but you know, my God, when it came down to it, those two beautiful diagonal kicks, uh, and I have to say that Scotland are. Um, they're not, and they're, they're not essentially a confidence either because they've had so many games where they've lost those. I think the edge has been given to them by by Finn Russell. I just think he's such a confident guy. I think that Ali Price is good at scrum half, mm. and let's be fair, the way they took that try from 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 George Turner's um, quick mm. throw. The way they really took clever. that try yeah. was just really really clinical. Now, if England had had had, had um, two moments of such. Um, clinical finishing yeah. they would have won the game mm. yeah and it is there are millions of ways to win a rugby match and, and very strong defence being comfortable in your own half you know, England felt England felt and rightly so that they should have done more they should have converted that pressure into points they should mm. have done because if you're in that position that's what you should do but Scotland won the game in a different way they defended they stopped that from happening and then England had turned the screw on them in the third quarter and Russell was like I'm not, not today. I'm, yeah, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah, and but that that try, that's what I mean. They, they sensed their opportunities and they and they were clinical when they took them. So that first mm. try, um, wasn't just well executed, was it, Steve? But it was it was well thought. It was well thought out. It yeah. was planned. Yeah. George Turner was hanging in the backfield mm. because they because of the field position. They knew England were kicked to touch. Kicked to touch means they're ready to go, and it wasn't a, a quick line out, but it was a quickly taken one. I.e., yeah, yeah, as yeah. soon as they were. They were in a position where they were allowed to take a, a formed line out. They did, and they, they mm. caught England napping. Brilliant. And then those two kicks, cross kicks, um, exposed a, a narrow England defence. They all rushed one side. March had to come over, and then the, the second one back um, towards Darcy Graham, which which Cowan Dickey knocked on, was was brilliant. And and for me, only bettered by the kind of impudence almost of the. The grubber kick he put into mm. into the twenty two three minutes later, like in the knowledge that England didn't have a hooker on the field, yeah. and he, he gives them a five meter line out and says, basically, you either make a permanent sub, bring on Jamie George, knowing that in five minutes time you're gonna have to you'll have two hookers on the field, mm-hmm. or you leave Joe Marler to take the line out five meters out. I mean, I I love that kind of ramming that that take that reading of the game and understanding. Of the opportunities it's sort of quarterback and, and stuff isn't it brilliant the, yeah. brilliant the one thing i think is is really creditable with scotland is it seems like their key game managers are really relaxed calm yeah cool-headed and also so if you look at so ali price finn russell really great mates and same with hog at the back they are the spine of the back line and they're cool-headed chilled out lads off the field they're mm. not too crazily overly, overly emotional and I think it really shows that they don't panic whereas mm. in previous years 
There was a series of years where Scotland had horrendous white line fever, didn't they? Yeah. Well, there was a About time ten when, years ago. There was a time when Gregor Townsend was the only person playing behind the scrum who was remotely of yeah. the of the uh, you know and all that. No, so you're dead right, and that's why I say about uh, Will about uh, Finn Russell. I just think he's got this aura about him, you know, and, and, he's, he's untouchable. I agree, and there's an attitude about it, and I, I tried to reflect it in the in what I wrote today that England go seventeen ten up, sixty three mm. minutes, and they make four changes. Now it's impossible to say whether causation or correlation you know George Ford didn't touch the ball as you pointed out Will in open field for 15 minutes when he came on so mm. did it matter who was at fly half it was a kick off and a kick to touch with yeah. his touches did before it the final play who was at fly half That that's not the point I'm making like 63 minutes the message that sent was right we've got this. a lead yeah. we, we've done our we've done our bit we've got this game we're now going to shut it down mm. and that's what I tried to reflect in what I wrote today that if you're Finn Russell with Finn Russell's mindset you're like watch this what <laughs> How, you know, almost offended by that yeah and, I, I, and, almost, and, and you know and, and it's there was, there was a psychology about it as well because it, it all happened at once mm. you know England take the lead a, a seven point lead they take off four players you know, including someone like Ludlam who I thought had a really really strong game carrying probably the best carry of, of the day and within six minutes Scott Russell himself has gone and, and created a try, and uh, and then and created the penalty with that kick into touch. When uh, Smith went off, I which I did object to, and like my colleague, my tandoori eating uh, colleague Barnes, <laughs> I, uh, I what what I was really disappointed with. I think George Ford's a great player. I was really disappointed at the two penalty kicks they had to touch. They didn't give to uh, Henry Slade to yeah. boom them down mm. there because George really people think God we're going to be in our own, near our own line here. He, he didn't really go for it. He went for safety. Mm. And that really kind of almost, that dulled the England edge for me. Well, was that because the passage before Smith went off, he'd kicked a, he'd gone for it into the corner mm. and overcooked it and went long. Mm. Mm. And actually, I he then redeemed himself because the ball came back to him and he put up a perfect yes, he did, yeah. up and under, which yeah. fell just outside the 22. Finn Russell spilled it. Led to a scrum, um, which ended up leading to, to the penalty that put England seven points ahead. Mm. So, but I wonder whether in the coach's box they went, he's pushing the envelope, he, he's taking too many risks yeah. in, a, in a tight game. We need to, we need to pull back from that. And I, I don't know whether that psychology then was then brought onto the field so that Ford wasn't aiming for for the twenty two. He was aiming just to for safety, but safety. It wasn't safe in the end because you you open yourselves up to be challenged in the air and, and then there's no guarantee the ball's going to be stolen but if you kick it into 22 as Slade does all the time it never is. So in a second I'll, I'll get you guys to sort of look forward to the next round and where both sides go from here but I just wanted to pay a little tribute to Steve Tandy and today this we're recording this on Monday and I'm bringing out a, a new column actually for digital subscribers to the Hang Times on, so he's come in he's got a column, a column. and he's hosting the Ruck <laughs> yeah, he's, paying, he's paying us to do it though the column oh okay good but we've, we've cleverly <laughs> named it the mall so on a Monday you can Ruck a mall with the Times so there we go okay, and right, it's, okay. it's very clever Steve very good and we've got the scrum on Saturdays as well the yeah, set piece yeah. all covered by and the we got, and we got the that. punch up on Thursday <laughs> no back play whatsoever the finishers are coming on <laughs> yeah, the weekend yeah the back play 2am next Thursday but no, the, the, the statistical deep dive I've done on Steve Tandy just is trying to show how much of an impact he's had on the Scottish defence. 
Um, and the remarkable thing about it is that if you include all test matches since he started coaching Scotland's defence, the only two sides that have conceded fewer points per game than Scotland are New Zealand and Ireland. So mm-hmm. Ireland is 16.2 per match, New Zealand 16.7, Scotland 16.9. I mean, Italy's the last at 38, but we'll ignore them. Mm-hmm. And in the Six Nations, they've 15 points per game, which is the best of any team. And they make 90% of their tackles, which is mm-hmm. the best of any team in the world since he started. So, I mean, that is an extraordinary impact from yeah. Steve Tandy, who seven or eight years ago was at the Ospreys with Alan Wynne-Jones and Dustin Tipperick and those guys kind of left yeah. and left petered under, out a little bit, yeah. went to Australia. Yeah. But he's had an amazing impact, Steve, hasn't he? Well, well look, I'll tell you what, those, those quotes are excellent. And some quote, uh, sorry, quotes, those um, uh, stats are excellent. Some stats a little bit more significant than less significant than we think, but that is a very, very significant stat. It really is. And uh, just shows he, he he's really sorted them out down there. And what a choice, because he's not an obvious choice to be the Scottish defence coach, is he? Mm. And fair play to him. I mean, those are, those are amazing stats. So, Alex... Mind where you, Wales Scot- will probably score 14 tries on Saturday. <laughs> now, but that's, that's well, let's talk about uh, Wales. They're in a bit of disarray, really, after that result. Yeah. And we had Steve James in the Times today saying it, it kind of tees up a wider problem in the Welsh game where the regionals, the regional teams aren't winning. The national team got beaten up. I mean, they've lost in Ireland before, but this kind of looked like it was pointing to a wider problem with Welsh rugby. Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember that the team that that won the Six Nations last year has been decimated by... I mean, mm. they've lost a lot of senior 700 players. 700-odd caps worth, yeah. Um, of Alan Wynn and Jonathan Davis and George North... Hold back row. Tipperick, Navidi, Halfpenny, you know that, yeah. Lydia. <laughs> so in terms of where they are right now, this is the best they're going to get. And and they are fine. They do have some exciting... I mean, Tane Basham, I think. I love watching Tane mm. Basham. I hadn't seen him play until that All Blacks game in the autumn. I, I, I think he's brilliant. And Ellis Jenkins, same. I really like him. And Wayne Wright, very, very good player. Um, But what this show... But they're all of those players who... Um, who they're missing, they would they'd make the World Cup, mm. and they probably will still make the World Cup, but they won't really be playing for Wales for mm. for four years. And so this is just a this is a, a peek into the future of mm. of, of where Wales are. And, and, and Steve James and, and you Jonesy and Mark Evans, who's been on this pod talking about Wales and the structure of Wales, know way more th- than I do. But there's a there's a worrying these are worrying signposts. For for me, for Wales, the Wales under twenty shipped fifty points on mm. Friday. Yeah, on Friday night, I think mm. they lost fifty odd three to to Ireland. The combined scores in those two games was, was, was you know should send shockwaves because the the issue is issue below the Wales team is now being reflected in the Wales team. The uh, one of these things I, I always got into terrible trouble for saying these things, but now and again I think that for Wales to win a game against Scotland will do them more long term harm than if they lose it because if they if they do win all the all the local uh, pompous uh, rugby officials with the game or they think the game is in their pocket from the tiny clubs they'll all be saying oh don't worry we're all right we're all right. we we've, we've just beaten Scotland we'll beat England at Twickenham which they won't uh, i think it's better if wales don't beat scotland i think they're in terrible straits uh, I think actually you've got to remember they still had more caps than Ireland on, they on, did, the, yeah. on the weekend. That was a remarkable stat, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, I, I just don't think that uh, you know you you take the front row now. 
Um, uh, Ireland have got six front rowers who can play international rugby. Mm. Wales have had, got one. Thomas Francis is the only man who can hold a scrum just about. He's not a tied furlong. Wynne Jones is on the line to uh, uh, Yeah, he's okay. I just like to see him have a bit of a revival mm. now. But, you know, w- w- what you've got, to, then you've got to Scotland bringing on two big South Africans who made a big mm. difference. And uh, Wales has not got, not got no scrummages. You, you can, you're either a, a live wire prop getting mm. round in the loose or you're a scrummager, but you've got to be both these days. And uh, they, they, they're, they're really short. I think Adam Bead is the only forward coming through who I really like with Basham, of course, as Alex says. Dan Big is really on his own there and is going mm. to take stick. And I I, I just I, I just hope for the Scotland's sake that Scotland do not give Wales any credence at all. I hope they go out there, smash them from the start, which they didn't do against England, get ahead and, 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 and confirm their breakthrough. And I think that in the long run, that will be better for Wales. If you look across the Six Nations, Ben Darwin, former Australia um, prop who works in analytics now, his big what he studies really is cohesion in teams. Mm. And what Wales have always had, whether the regions have won or not, when, when they come into camp, it's the same group. Mm. They have a cohesion that, that so they perform often above the, the sum of their parts. If you look at the... If you look across the Six Nations, if Scotland have cohesion in their team, they know how they play mm. and they know what they stand for. Ireland have built that. Can't get more cohesion than having the whole Leinster team well, plus yeah, well, a couple well, of others. Exactly, yeah. but but what they've done is they've built it in a different way under Farrell. They, mm. It wasn't it wasn't easy initially to move away from what Joe Schmidt wanted them to do, but they've got the cohesion and, and they've and they and they're doing it. And, and France, who have often been. Sort of the least cohesive team yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Speak to Sean; he's been he's been critical to that. Yeah, because he's built mm. that foundation in in defence where they have a, they have a, a different identity Collective to where they purpose, were. Collective purpose, isn't it? In I, I, and you look, at, you look at Wales; don't have it now. And England at the moment. That's what they're trying to get. Is I don't some think kind of they. Cohesion. I don't think they do have it. I think they have probably got the players, but they don't have that cohesion. Who? I, I think England got the players, but they don't have that cohesion. That's, exactly, that you're yeah, saying. that's what I'm saying. Mm. No, that's exactly. what they're trying to build. So, right, lads, with Ireland winning well, France getting there and winning well eventually, uh, we're set up for the mouthwatering game of the tournament, aren't we? France, Ireland. Um, I think it's good to get a bit of insight, isn't it, from the French camp? So, let's go down to Marcoussi, where we're talking to Sean Edwards, their legendary defence coach. 's so now with uh, France defense coach Sean Edwards um, you had your good win over Italy on the weekend Sean congrats on that how pleased were you after it I saw Antoine Dupont saying it was a little bit clumsy what was your take on the, the victory well I, I thought um, I was pleased with how we played um, because we had virtually zero preparation uh, the, re- well, the reason being no, no, not zero preparation um, disruptive preparation because the first week a lot of the lads are away with COVID. 
in the two-week prep, building up to it. And then the second week, the wind in the south of France was just was just so strong that you could, you, you could hardly practice. So anyway, so we went in uh, the similar team we had against New Zealand uh, and started off slowly, obviously, uh, but we built our way into the game and ended up in pretty good form by the end of it. Yeah, I mean, um, Fabian Galtier wasn't at the game because he had COVID, wasn't he? How was that dealing with yeah. out him and who was sort of running the show? Was it Rafa Ibanez? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was quite a smooth process. You know, uh, Rafa was, um, was in charge and and um, and obviously we were all in charge of our various uh, parts of the game. So, um, you know, it wasn't too bad, but it's, it's, always, it's always nice having Fabian there because he, uh, you know, he's a real student of the game and... Um, you know, he is pretty clued up in both attack and defence. Well, he's very, very clued up in both in both aspects, really. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Gabin Villiers? Obviously, he scored a hat trick and come from the sevens game. What can you give us a bit of insight about him? <laughs> he's one tough hombre. <laughs> 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 That's probably the best thing I could work out of could explain. Um, he doesn't look like he's, um, you know, an international rugby player. Um, he probably doesn't run like his loop like in his last <laughs> play, but boy, can he play? Um, you know, in, in, on both sides of the ball in the defence and the attack, he's incredibly brave, very very powerful for for, for a relatively small man. Uh, mm. And um, yeah, nothing seems to phase him. And it's great that you know yeah, he wasn't like a superstar when he was young or anything like that. He's come through the various ranks, played second division rugby, I believe, and then sevens, and uh, he's ended up playing. And being a vital member of uh, the, the fifth, the uh, keep de France, as it's called over here, mm. and um, I think that's great to, for for young lads to, to use him as an example. And and uh, like you said, he's not that big, but boy, is he powerful! And uh, yeah, he's a very impressive player. Sean, it's Jonesy here. I know wherever you've been in your career, right from the start at Wigan, you've always been. Under a certain amount of pressure to perform as one of the star players, yeah. and and now one of the one of the you know the best known coaches in in the game. This season, the expectation on France is is enormous, and especially then going into the World Cup. Are you feeling that a bit, or you just basically kept it out of your mind as usual? Well, like you say, I've been used to it all my life, so not being under pressure would be unusual for me. <laughs> Okay, and the, 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 I mean, you still. I, I was not under pressure. I was I was out the game for a year and a half when I retired from playing. Yeah. And how after my day was going for a news for a paper at newspaper shop, and because uh, I had a lot of injuries and you know which I need to recover from, etc. And uh, I didn't enjoy having no pressure. At all. <laughs> no, sure. Okay, it was better having then. You, um, it just seems to me that from where we sit, and I'm sure it was the same for you before you went over. It's such a such a kind of glamorous existence over there. I mean, I know you you guys are all working your your, your nuts off, but is it? Are you still enjoying it as have much you, as you have did? Have you been to my thesis? Have you been to my thesis, mate? Yes, I, sorry, no, I have. Yeah, all right, maybe it's, not. Uh, no, it's. Uh... A bit of a spit and sawdust place, but uh, we like it. It's a good training centre. It's, it's got it's got the basics that what everything you need. The gym's okay. The pitch is is, is a lot lot better now. Yeah. Uh, and so you know we, we kind of like it. Uh, we, we just trained at an army camp <laughs> for two weeks. So yeah, and uh, that was was the normal army camp. It was a French foreign legion where where <laughs> uh, uh, I'm told you know the lads who. Uh, 
the laugh's not too great. Uh, they, they go to the French Foreign Legion and they, they, they get a, a second chance at laughing. So, okay. uh, glamorous? I, I wouldn't call that glamorous, no. I'll take no. back that word then. Take back that word. <laughs> just, just a couple of pl- uh, one player I wanted to, 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 to your opinion on, and that's uh, Wauke. Uh Not right. really well known over here, but could looks like one of these sort of great French forwards who can do almost everything. Is that is that how you see him? Is, and is he okay in defence? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's obviously an excellent line forward and he was a player who, the first time I kind of set eyes on him, I thought that this guy, this kid could be special. Um, he can play, he could play second row or back row, uh, both sides of the, of the back row. Um, you know, awesome in the lineup. Very, very mobile. And um, I think he's improving his offloading game. He's probably work on was his defence. Um, but he's concentrating on that and... Uh, and working very, very hard, and he's a great lad to be around as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, Sean. Um, maybe twenty years or so ago, there was a lot of talk that that the Six Nations should always end with England France because it was always going to be the title decider. The folly of that has been proven many times over, and probably never more so than than this year because you've got a game against Ireland next weekend. The two teams who beat the All Blacks in in the autumn, which is is, is enormous. Uh, as a fixture and, and the game that's probably the most anticipated of any in this championship how do you see this challenge against Andy Farrell's Ireland who are improving rapidly yeah. and, and you guys are doing the same well you know obviously you, you get a number of crunch matches and this is definitely this is definitely one of them I, I think we're playing against the form team in world rugby at the moment um, you know I watched I watched a bit of the game against Wales and you know, the speed of the rook ball, uh, you know, Mike Cat, they've got one of the best attack coaches in the world. So, uh, Mike's a, a guy I've competed against a number of times at club rugby and um, and, uh, and now international rugby. And uh, he's, I always find him, I think he's one of the best attack coaches in the world, like I said. Um, so, you know, I've definitely got my hands full this weekend. Um, limited preparation because it's a six day turnaround for us. Um, but, you know, I think that is going to be one hell of a game. And is, is stopping that attack the key to the game, or, or I mean, you'll, you'll present a hell of a lot for them to stop as well. Yeah, the thing about Alan though is, is to get the ball back off them. If you look at the stats of particularly throughout the Six Nations campaigns they've won, you know, I know that was before Andy was there as head coach. But if you watch the, first, I just watched the first half against the All Blacks. That's 72% possession, mm. 75% territory. And the all-black attack just couldn't get going. Just couldn't get going because of this you know, ability of theirs to keep hold of the ball. And we have to be incredibly disciplined around about you know, the halfway line because <clears throat> we do know that uh, Ireland um, back themselves to play ball in hand rugby. And um, that's great, great to see teams because obviously that's what you want to watch. Um, but we have to be disciplined enough to go phase after phase after phase, and to be prepared to to, to make over two hundred tackles in one game. Sean, there was a great stat um, that was in the Times today, and you mentioned it about the speed of the rucks. I think seventy-one yeah. percent of Ireland's. Um, rucks yeah. were recycled within three seconds or less against Wales. Yeah. And I'm telling you, some of them Wales lads are very, very good jacklers. Mm. Very, very good jacklers. 
So it's not as if they were playing against a team who were, how can I say, you know, who didn't have any open sides or didn't have any guys who were naturally good over the ball. Not them Welsh lads are very good over the ball. So that makes it even more um, an achievement by the Irish team to get such quick ball against a team historically who, who love to compete for the ball. Yeah. In your in your Wales career, you often had Ireland's number. So what was the key then when you were them to to beating them and sort of setting up a defence to stop the attack? Well, we, we didn't always beat them because I think we had a pretty equal sort of record um, uh, in in beating it, you know, in beating each other. Um, but just um, the fact that you you have to try to keep them out, out, out of the twenty-two is as simple as that. Mm. And how much you love competing and, with Andy Farrell as well? And it's very, very difficult to do to keep them out of your 22 because, yeah. you know, obviously, unlike you say, the structure that they have is um, very, very well drilled by Mike Carter, as you'd expect, as I'm, I'm repeating myself because he's a great coach. Mm. And um, you, we have to be... Uh, we have to be clever in the way that we slow the ball up and try to win collisions. Mm. You enjoy the competition against Andy as well? It's gone back it's a long way, that hasn't order. it? Yeah, it's of the highest order whenever it's against Faz. You know, he was a great, great player, one of the greats of Wigan, we believe, and he's, he's gone on to be a, a top, top, top coach. And uh, that didn't surprise me one bit <laughs> because mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's always been a high-class operator. Awesome, Sean. Well, we're all really looking forward to that game. Thank you. A great insight there from Sean Edwards, the defence coach. Interesting stuff about the French Foreign Legion there. That sounds right up his street, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, glamour is not uh, <laughs> glamour is nothing that it's not something that ever attracts Sean. Um, he would lo- he you know, he love Marquisie because it's isolated and they can work hard and and actually plays to to the theme that we were talking about earlier, doesn't it? That France spending two weeks at um, at a French Foreign Legion camp, you know that that is where they're instilling the foundation stones. That's where they're they're building that cohesion and that toughness, and they have this wonderful generation of players. We see you asking about Cameron Wockey, just just sort of the latest to, and and, and Villiers. You know these these guys are the, um, are, are are mega stars, and I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Cameron Wockey ends up being player of the championship. Quick mm-hmm. verdict, Steve, France, uh, Ireland. Just looking forward to it so much, so much. Uh, look, I, I, I just think that France, are, if they're absolutely flat out and they go for it, I, I think they can, they, they, they're a great side. I fancy Ireland by one score. I really do fancy Ireland in it. And that would tee them up for a, a run-in, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I did, look, uh, some people say that they were available at four to uh, five to one for the championship. Some clever people put so, some dosh on it as well. I, don't, I wouldn't know about that, but I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I just think they, they, they got a great chance. I think they're a potentially great side. They'll have Henshaw back, I think, in the centre. Again, I mean, Hen, Henshaw Ringrose against um, Fiku and Dante. I mean, blimey, you'd pay money for that alone. Yeah, and Cyril yeah. Bailly against Furlong. Oh, Those wow. two front rows, awesome. man. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, um, Porter. Kelleher, Furlong Cousin against Ronan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, against those the, the French unit. Um, just I mean that yeah, that's fireworks. Could be epic. Yeah. Unbelievable. Let's take off the brake foot and let's go. For yeah. It. yeah. And the no, last don't, time, don't. the last Bad time that neck. we went there, uh, well, we didn't go there. I think we were sitting in Rome. But Johnny Sexton's forty-two meter drop goal that finished it. So maybe we could get a spectacular finish like that again. That'd be pretty cool. I think. I mean, I I wrestled with it and went with France as my. Six Nations winners just over Ireland. Mm. 
it's one of those that if the game was in Dublin, I might have slightly edged Ireland. It's if Ireland could go out there and, and, and win it, what an epic! Oh, there, let's be fair, you know, we, 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 we're getting stuck into the technical side of it here. What a week! What a time it's been for the Six Nations. You know, Brilliant. great, great first weekend, great second weekend coming up, and national. Uh, terrestrial television new magazine program right in prime time yesterday mm. I mean by me you know and which I thought was quite good I thought Ugo did it really well and it's the great days of the Six Nations really it really is yeah absolutely and I saw actually as well that France had record viewers on telly as well so they're getting it back together as well but we'd probably leave Italy England for a prediction because that's going to be Italy's 34th defeat in a row isn't it likely it, it is all yeah. I say is look England have got three problem positions okay they've got to give Mark Atkinson a go at 12 they must do because they've got to just in case Tulangi doesn't come back and I would play the next choice outside the squad at tight head prop and lock they're going to need a new lock just in case Johnny of, of Exeter doesn't get back and the tight head prop um, a backup is really poor as is the lock backup who, I, who would I, they pick who I would they bring anyone Joe outs- Hayes yeah. Joe, Joe Hayes probably and anyone who, who would be the next lock outside the squad Launchbury well I might even give Joe Launchbury a go because Charlie Yields for, for me has not uh, has not um, cut it as a starter or or a um, uh, uh, um, a replacement. I'd like to see Atkinson definitely. I'd like to see a couple of big, uh, young bulls giving their chance up front. And Steve's already given his Wales Scotland verdict, but Alex, what do you think on that? Oh one? yes, Scotland to win, to win down there and um, consolidate uh, you know, a really outstanding win for them at, um, at Marrickford. Is it three wins? And a draw from the last five Calcutta Cuts for Scotland. So yeah, no but free. they haven't won in Cardiff since 2002. They did win in Flanethley. Oh, more history. With no fans. Them. Bloody hell. But they're ticking off a few records, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Right, so that's our Six Nations round one verdict signed, sealed and delivered. Definitive as always. And next we're going to look at a little bit of the Premiership and then round up with our Goddess or Goddess of the Week. So, lads, while we were all up at Murrayfield, there was a a round of Premiership rugby games. Gloucester beat London Irish 24-7, Bristol 37, Newcastle 21. Wasps stealing one from Exeter 27-26, a dog grew in the very, 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 very last minute. Um, Leicester 36, Worcester 16. Saracens had their second big win over Bath of the season, 40-3. And Sale thrashed Harlequins 36-14 at home. Steve, you saw a little bit of that last one. Yeah, yeah I did. Verdict uh, on that. Well, two things. First, first of all, I saw most of uh, the, the Wasps sex of the game replay and uh, Wasps were dead and buried. They were miles back and Exeter were driving and close range driving and scoring. And, and my goodness, Wasps came back and it just shows the guts of this team. Mm. Uh, a dog who, who actually looks a bigger bloke than when he, when he, reti- when he went out of the game. He looked, looked fairly hefty. Uh, but can still move, scored two nice tries, but th- 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 their passion for it was tremendous. And look, an away win when you're, t- what, 19 points down at exit is really something, really something. And also Sale just looks to me, I'd stand to be corrected, but they, they have finally found it. Mm. You know, I mean, I know Quint was, was short of players, but the Faf was back, uh, came on and looked exactly like Faf does and Manu Tulangi came on and looked exactly like Man- Manu does. In, in, he wasn't so great in attack but in defence he was absolutely f- ferocious belted Esther Hazen straight yeah, off the did. bat didn't he and, and actually every, every match I could see uh, there was a big crowd in the background so 
you know, fans of the Premiership, they're sticking with it. And, uh, you know, as soon as we come out of the internationals, we'll be straight back in. Right, so next up on the podcast, we'll have Jessica Hayden's roundup of everything that's going on in the women's game. The headline fixture of round 13 in the Premier 15s was the Saracens versus Harlequins derby. The two teams have played in every Premier 15s final so far and they're incredibly close in performance. At Twickenham Steep, Saracens were without two key players as both Poppy Cleal and Zoe Harrison were unavailable. But despite Harlequins pulling away at the start of the match, the game finished with Saracens ahead 22-8, which was a huge win to maintain their position at the top of the Premier 15s table. Saracens are seven points clear at the top with just five regular season games remaining, almost confirming their place in the top four playoffs. England head coach Simon Middleton would have been pleased with the performances of some of his players, particularly Harlequins hooker Amy Cocaine and Saracens fly half Holly Aitchison, who will now have a couple of injury concerns heading into the Women's Six Nations, which begins at the end of March. Harlequins Jess Breach and Saracens Hannah Bottomen both left the pitch with injuries that could see them miss the tournament. For Breach, this shoulder injury will be particularly upsetting as she only returned to rugby in December after breaking her back in training. Elsewhere, Worcester Warriors narrowly lost out to second in the table Bristol Bears. Exeter Chiefs bounced back from a disappointing performance against Wasps in the previous round to secure a bonus point win against Gloucester Hartbury, with Exeter's Kate Zachary crossing over three times in the 36-32 win. Finally, Wasps move within one point of the top four with a 46-0 defeat of DMP Durham Sharks. As we near the end of the season and the top four places become increasingly important, it feels worth reminding you of who the top four currently are. So it's Saracens, Bristol, Exeter and Harlequins. And the scores from round 13 are Harlequins 8, Saracens 22, Bristol Bears 12, Worcester Warriors 10, Gloucester Hartbury 32, Exeter Chiefs 36, Sail Sharks 3, Loughborough Lightning 32, and finally, DMP Durham Sharks 0, Wasps 46. Okay, to finish up, lads, plenty going on on this podcast, but we must have your god, goddess, devil of the week. Who should we start with? Steve, you ready? Are you primed? I am ready, and it's a saintly figure, not a devil figure. My god of the week, in no question, is George Turner of, of Scotland. Talk about unheralded. George, they had two lineouts near their own line, within five metres of their own line, which puts the England the England spoilers really close to the action. Turner unveiled the two best lineout throws I've ever seen. When you throw in long to your own backs over the lineout, you almost bound to loft it, but he didn't actually loft it. It just went. Wham! Like that head, just overhand height, straight to the Scot who was going to clear it. With, with England nowhere near, he did it twice, and I just think that was supremely skillful. And up there with Patrick Mahomes as as, as a <laughs> as a deliverer of the pass, even though he didn't have quite the same athleticism. But oh no, but he did, and I think he also played a great part in that. Um, we were talking earlier that he, he kept out the way till that quick lineup, then suddenly went like that. Um, my great friend Nigel Botherway rang me said that was a quick line-out, you couldn't do that well, no it wasn't, it was a quickly thrown in ball to a proper line-out, mm. that's, that's what it was I just think Turner was, 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 was my god of the week, I thought it was absolutely tremendous. Alex, Halo, Horns where are we going? Um, well, a, a halo for the member of the media who, as I mentioned at the start, decided to invest himself so heavily in the return of the festive spirit of the Six Nations that he was out till 6am 
uh, on the day of the game. Love that. Um, Who was it? Name the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh... Right, okay, okay. Oh, um, breaking up. Sorry. Uh, and give a devil to. The person at the SRU who keeps insisting on people calling it BT Murrayfield but laying on the worst internet in the media centre yes, you yeah. can possibly find in a Six Nation stadium. Yeah. The irony being that I tried to tweet that at half time and it took, <laughs> 10 mi- took 10 minutes for the tweet to go. No bandwidth. Uh, but I mean, I can't look beyond. I, I, there's so many from this weekend. But Finn Russell for just taking it, taking it on and go, seizing, sensing the moment, seizing the moment and executing it brilliantly. So on my first podcast, we had a Wasps triple, and I think we're going to get a Scotland triple on this one. So as outlaid by my stats earlier, I think I'm going to give mine to Steve Tandy. Mm-hmm. What a job he's yeah. done. Mm-hmm. And Can't so a, a Scottish triple header. And yeah. the final stat to finish it off, the last time they won back-to-back Calcutta Cups, how did they finish? 84? Grand Slam. Grand Slam. Grand Slam. Nothing can go wrong from here, Scotland. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right, everyone, that has been the ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. We'll be here every week, of course, throughout the t- season, bringing you the latest discussion and insight. So follow or subscribe from wherever you get your podcast from. See you next week, everyone.